Welcome to Under the Magnifier! And I'm gonna do the whole spiel I did before, because I think at this point people know. But a uh, tiny bit of housekeeping. It's been a little while. Uh, we took a little break, and a little update. We're gonna be doing, like, bi-weekly instead of weekly, because I was killing myself to do weekly. It takes, like, two to three days to record, and then four to edit. So, bi-weekly, maybe longer. But today we're gonna talk about One Piece, because I wanna. <laughs> Yeah, we've been watching clips about it, so it's forward in our mind. Yeah, and I mean, I've been trying to get back into it, because I've gotten up to, like, episode, uh, I think it's like 630 or something. Yeah, you're probably going to have to start Dressrosa over from the beginning, unfortunately. Probably. I probably won't remember a lot of it. I think it's all been dubbed now, though. Yeah, I mean, I think I think most of Dressrosa was dubbed when I stopped. Like, I hadn't caught up to it, but I think now they've done Dressrosa, and then, like, that the arc after it not the not wano but like the little arcs they do because there's like two slightly smaller arcs after dress rosa right after dress rosa they go to zoe and that's a short arc and then they go to whole cake island and that is not a short arc it's shorter than dress rosa but it's not a short arc okay oh well, Hulk, i want to get to whole cake that's one i've been excited about because i know that's like sanji's backstory and i want to i've been thoroughly unspoiled on that so i want to watch that before i do get spoiled because i know it will eventually because people love spoilers but yeah we're gonna do this arc by arc it's not gonna be as in-depth as andor was we're not doing episode by episode because we would be here forever <laughs> i mean what episode are they up to like a thousand two hundred or something 1062, I believe, is the most recent episode. It's insane. Is it still weekly? Yeah. And I've actually stopped reading, watching the anime and started reading the manga because, like, the anime is now a year behind the manga. Oh, the anime's always been behind the manga. Is he still updating it or is he on a break right now? He is currently on a four-week break because he had to get, like, eye surgery, I believe. I remember you saying that. It's like some, like cataract or lasik or something like that like not not like he's losing his eyesight this is like a routine thing because he's like what 60s or something oh or is he that old i know he's old i know oda's getting up there because he's been doing it since shit like the 90s or something one piece started in 1999 yeah and i mean he didn't start when he was a kid uh he was born in 1975 so he is a year younger than my mom so he's in his 50s then yeah no he's a year older than my mom that's how math works <laughs> are you sure <laughs> He's 48 years old. Yeah. I mean, that's not super old, but the older you get, you, you're more likely to develop cataracts. And I mean, shit, he probably works with screens. So many people now, because we're so screen heavy in life, end up getting LASIK to correct the uh, stigmatisms and shit. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be shocked if that's what he's doing or if he's getting cataract surgery, which would suck because cataract surgery, it works. But cataracts come back. They always come back. So you'll have to get it again and again. And it, it's a pain. It's a pain in the ass kind of procedure. But um, yeah. One Piece. One Piece is basically a story about pirates. Crazy pirates. <laughs> Fantastical, pyrannical adventures. Pyrannical? <laughs> pyrannical. All I can imagine is the pie symbol. <laughs> but yeah, and legitimately, uh, Clayton got into this way earlier than I did because when I first saw it, I was like, and I think a lot of people have that take, it's childish because it's so colorful and bright. Mm -hmm. But this is not an anime for kids. Like, I might watch it. I mean, you could probably watch it with the kids. But it's way deeper than that. Like, it's legit. These characters have growth and they go through shit. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in it. I mean... Yeah, I would say it's the kind of show that a kid can watch, but they won't get it. Yeah. On the right kind of level. To them, it would just be violence, right? It's just pirates and fighting. They wouldn't get it. Yeah, I think children would probably enjoy it because it is so colorful and quick-paced. Like, I mean, legit, 
one of the the arcs that I don't like is Skypea. And I mean, that's saying something because like all of the arcs are good. Like, I don't think there's episodes that I hate, but Skypea drags a little for me. But I know like you said you like Skypea. On the whole, yes. Like I've gone back and I reread it in the manga and I like it there. Uh, and if you binge it, it's a lot easier. Yeah, I've read a little bit of the manga a few times, and I think the manga is good. But would you consider One Piece to be shonen? Yes. Yeah, like with a lot of shonen mangas, the action is so action-packed in the mangas, it's a little harder to follow than the anime sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I prefer the anime. So I get, do you want to talk about sub versus dub? Because I know you watch the sub. Yeah, well, I watch the sub because it's up to date. Like, it's further along up to date. And now I've switched to manga because that's even more up to date. And I just love the story. So I'm just like, I want to read whatever the most recent and newest thing is. Yeah, for sure. But what do you think of, like, like most people are going to be like, oh, the purists, you have to watch the sub. Obviously, I'm going to watch the dub. I don't want to take an hour to watch a 30-minute episode. Do you like the sub? I do think the voice acting is better. Even though it's in a language I don't understand, I do think the people doing the voices are better at what they're doing. But I also don't think the dub is awful. A lot of people hate the dub, and I'm not that against it. I mean, I think the dub was kind of like iffy in the beginning because it was four kids, right? It started with four kids. Oh, yeah, but it's been redubbed by Funimation. Like, you, you, No one considers that the actual dub. Oh, yeah, but I mean, the first time you've ever watched it, like, I think I saw an episode when it was just four kids before Funimation picked it up. And yeah, it was way cornier. The dialogue was pretty corny. I like the dub. I think I would like the dub over the Japanese anyway because I like the voice actors. Like, the dude who plays Ronaldo Zoro is kind of iconic. Every time I hear him, I think of Piccolo from Dragon Ball Z, and I like his voice. He's really good at voice acting. Mm-hmm. I think the others are okay. Like, I think Luffy's okay, though. I know I think you said that you prefer Luffy's sub. I do. The 55-year-old woman who plays him in Japan is much better at portraying this 17-year-old kid. <laughs> He's portrayed as a, by a woman? That's funny. Oh, yeah. Does she do the, after the two-year gap when he's 19, do they switch it up or does she still do him? Nope. Does she change the voice at all? Because I know the voice has not really changed with the, the time skip in the dub. No, the voice actors didn't change at all with the time skip. I wonder if they'll change Choppers eventually, because Chopper went from being, what was he, 14 to 16, and that's honestly when most, well, he's not human, so I guess that would count too, but like, that's when your voice changes, like, in men it would drop, and I think Chopper is male, so, like, logically, it might drop, but then again, he is a reindeer who ate the human-human fruit, so, stop in the air on that one, but yeah. So we could start out with like the first arc, which would be, oh God, what is the first arc called? Romance Dawn. Romance Dawn. So like, I'm going to fuck his name up. Nor not? No. It's an N-word, right? His first name? Echiro. Echiro. Why did I think it was like Nora something? So Echiro Oda actually wrote this like when he was young. Mm-hmm. His like first draft of One Piece. And it was, wasn't it called Romancing Dawn? Yeah. Like he started the idea of the One Piece story when he was in like junior high school drawing it, doodling it, working out the beats of the world. And he he's just been wanting to tell one story his whole life. That's dedication. Honestly, you can kind of see it because he's not like some people who jump from story to story. Mm-hmm. He's put a lot of time and effort into this. Yeah, and the original story, The Romance Dawn, he submitted that as a manga and then got feedback and came back and changed it into the one piece that we have now. And for the anime, for their episode 1000, and I think it's episode 1000 and 1001, they do a two-part series that is just that original story animated. Mm -hmm. And it's got, like, big key differences. Like, Luffy's not a pirate. He's a a good pirate. Like, they have an actual term for good pirates. 
So it's not that there are pirates, some are good, some are bad. There's like, no, this is a term for a good pirate. He was a privateer? No. I think that's what they called. No? No. I think that was what they were called, wasn't it? I could be, I'd have to ask Jennifer. She knows so much about pirates. She's so obsessed with them. Uh, but I, before we get into it, I did forget to say this. I think I, my favorite part about One Piece is it's the idea that this story is about the journey, not the destination. Because the whole journey is to find the One Piece but it's definitely more important about the friends you make along the way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this story is definitely, like, character growth. Because you see Luffy go from, like, this kid who's just ready to take on the world to realizing he has drawbacks. Like, he does the training arc for those two years. They all do it. Because he meets somebody he can't beat. And he has to do that to be stronger, to not only protect himself, but his friends. Whereas in the beginning, he's, like, this just renegade. You know, he's like, just throws himself into every fight, just smiling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the romancing dawn starts. It starts out with him leaving his village, right? Punches that giant thing. <laughs> well, no. In the anime, it starts with him in the barrel. Oh, right. I'm thinking of the manga, because the manga starts with him leaving, right? Yeah, the manga starts, you actually start with him as the kid. You see him as the kid with Shanks, and they flash back to this later in the show. Mm -hmm. But they show him and Shanks and him getting to know the crew, and then him eating the devil fruit. Yeah, I remember that. I think I actually read One Piece in Shonen Jump when it was in the US, and I remember being annoyed because how Luffy gets a scar on his face, like that iconic scar. It's because he stabs himself with a knife because he's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. But in the four kids version, they deleted that scene. But I guess when Funimation took it over, they redid that and it's included. Because it is kind of a plot point. Like it just shows how kind of like crazy Double May Care Luffy is. Yeah, he does that just to prove how tough he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so yeah, Romancing Dawn is him. So he meets Albita for the first time in Romancing Dawn, right? And Kobe. Mm-hmm. I always want to say Colby, like Colby Beef, but I know it's like Kobe. And Romance Dawn also includes them rescuing Zoro. Oh, yeah. And taking down Captain Morgan. Like, Romance Dawn is from him being dragged up out of the barrel to him and Zoro setting sail, leaving Kobe behind. That's the end of Romance Dawn. Oh, yeah. I, I think some of my favorite scenes in this is like, obviously, like the kick ass fight between him and Morgan, like him revealing that he's a rubber man. He ate the gum gum fruit, so he's straight. So, like, regular tip bullets don't hurt him, but I think, like, actual, like, pointy bullets can hurt him, you find out later on. Not, like, a rounded bullet, because normally bullets fired from a gun aren't pointed, but, like, Krieg just fires spikes at him. And if it has a sharp enough point, it can it can pierce him. Yeah. <laughs> In D&D terms, he is immune to bludgeoning, right? Yeah, blunt damage. <laughs> but he is susceptible to slashing and piercing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's the opposite of a skeleton. <laughs> Yeah, I think that part, and then, like, the whole thing where he set out to see in a dinghy. We're just like, what? Mm -hmm. You've just been rolling around in a dinghy, huh? And he gets in a dinghy with Kobe, and he's like, we can go where we want? That's so cool. Like, he had no idea how to navigate at all, which is crazy. Yeah, it's a a mess. He doesn't know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. But that just shows how Luffy approaches problems. It's steadfast confidence. It doesn't matter how. He just knows he's going to go out there and he's going to get it done or he's going to die trying. Yeah, and for his sake, he has the resolve to do it because he will do it. Oh, like that guy you like you watch on YouTube. He is a force of nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no stopping Luffy when his minds get to it. And like the crew ends up just learning that. I know because in the beginning they question him, but later on they're like, "All right, we're doing this because Luffy's doing it. So let's just do it." <laughs> yep. 
What were your favorite parts in this arc? I don't know. There's not a lot here. Yeah, it's a lot of introductions because you do see Nami like I think twice, right? Yeah. Because she robs the Bucky pirates and you see her on that cruise ship for like a minute. I guess my favorite part would just be the first bit of teamwork between Luffy and Zoro when Helmeppo has that gun to Kobe. Uh, yeah. And Zoro just ignores Captain Morgan behind him. He's coming at him with the axe and just leaves it to Zoro while he takes care of Helmeppo. Mm-hmm. Luffy's such a trusting soul, too, because he's known Zoro for maybe, like, all of a couple hours stretched over maybe, like, I think it's, like, two days that he's there. Mm -hmm. But he trusts his back to him implicitly right away because he's like, Zoro's a good person. And I will say, Luffy canonically is a pretty good judge of character. Like, I don't think there's many dudes that he meets that he likes, that he trusts, that end up betraying him. Yeah, I've heard a few different people who analyze it and discuss it and everything talk about how Luffy is not a like he's not an idiot well he's not an intellectual person mm -hmm. like he's not an intelligent person but he has a very good sense of emotional maturity and emotional intelligence yeah and he's very easy to pick up on what people want and what people need yeah that's really proven in like the arlong arc honestly then again in alabaster with bb mm -hmm. and just wait for whole kick island oh god yeah so i guess we end that arc with him setting sail with Zoro. Does Nami join them? No. No. No, right. And then they set out from there. And the next arc is Usopp, right? Nope. Orange Town. Orange Town. See, a lot of these first arcs kind of bleed together. A lot of the East Blue. Because it happens like rapid fire. So I forget like where they end and where they begin. Orange Town is the introduction of Buggy. Oh, yeah, Buggy. I legitimately thought that was streamers on his hat and not his hair <laughs> for like ever until like the prison arc because it's like, oh, he's like blue streamers on his hair to complete like the clown look, which I feel bad for because like that's his nose. It's not, <laughs> it's not a sweet <laughs> yeah. toy, which you don't realize till later. Well, no, they pointed out pretty, he's real sensitive about his nose. That's why he, he like in this introduction, he kills a man for thinking he was talking about his nose oh yeah but i like i don't know if it's explicitly stated that that is his nose or if he's sensitive about the clown look so i always took it as oh he's dressed up as a clown and he takes it seriously and this guy m making him thinking the guy's poking fun at his fashion sense or his decision upsets him nope uh buggy is just a man with a grotesque bulging tumor of a nose who grew up in a rough and tumble pirate environment so he leaned into the aesthetic by dressing as a clown and kills anyone who talks about it i mean fair enough right so the bucky are oh yes this arc is the puppy <laughs> yeah oh that badass this show is really good at making animals and inanimate objects you care for them <laughs> right well, it becomes a thing later where it's obvious from the start that animals have a will, but also objects. Yeah. Any object in the One Piece world that is cared for enough, has been around long enough, develops a will of its own. I don't know a lot about Japanese culture, but I know that that's a thing in Japan. Like, everything has a kami. Because kami, it's not strictly God, it's like a spirit. Mm -hmm. Because, like, they do the doll burning festival because... If a child has a doll and they care for it a long time, it has a kami. And to prevent it, when you grow older and you just don't want the doll anymore, like the kids are playing with it, to prevent it from becoming an evil spirit or like getting possessed or just like going bad, they purify it and then they burn them to set those spirits free. So I can see that. That's kind of like that. Oh, I don't know if it's Shintoism. I could be wrong. Just bleeding into the show because it obviously it is made by a Japanese man. Mm -hmm. Though I do love that he released the thing saying that they're all different races, which is neat. Yeah. 
Oda has, in fact, uh, in a few of his little SBS segments where he answers questions, he has drawn pictures on what the uh, humification of the objects would look like. So all of Zoro's swords, if you look them up, they have a human proxy that you could see what Zoro's swords look like if they were people. Oh, that's cool. I would love to see what the wa- not Wano, um, Watanabe? No. Is it Watanabe, his white sword? The one he carries the most that he got from Karina? I think so. It's like the Ichimoji, I think. I, I don't know. The sword names are really complicated and get really interchangeable, especially when it's like, this is the third one or the fourth one, and that's the second one. And these these swords are cousins because they were made by smiths who were brothers. Mm-hmm. I do like that not everybody has a samurai sword in this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a legitimate rare thing, and the people who make them, especially like way back when, I don't know what kind of time period this is because obviously it's a different world, they were made by craft and they put a lot of their heart and soul into them so all of them have like different names different functions you know they're not just a run-of-the-mill this is this is this this is this i said samurai sword i mean katana they're katanas right yeah zoro's swords are katanas but i mean even like hawkeye mihawk the biggest baddest swordsman in the world he doesn't use katanas so katanas are also not the end-all be-all yeah for sure so the orange island arc is with bucky and they introduce that dog and i think that's my favorite part of the arc is like the dog's backstory because you legitimately feel for that dog and you see luffy like Mm -hmm. go into a burning building to rescue that dog food for him and be like here this is the only thing i could save and the dog legitimately appreciates it and he doesn't fall into the trapping of like a lot of things kind of like slime does right where everyone progresses in spite of despite of the main crew so him saving this dog's thing and like indebting himself to the dog it helps him out later when they're escaping Mm -hmm. because it stops the townspeople who mistakenly think that they did something bad he holds them off and they won't hurt the dog because obviously the dog's important to them yeah that is one thing oda has always been really good at is making sure that the world does not revolve around the crew that we're following yeah the crew just exists in a living breathing world yeah like they obviously make ripples and they change lives but these other people don't disappear when they're off screen they're still doing stuff yeah one of my favorite little nods to that is you remember on skypea the uh the spider head guy who like couldn't cross his arms oh yeah do you know what he's doing now uh-uh. he owns a onsen that that's amazing he owns and operates an onsen and they oh was just like oh yeah here's a cover story about this guy's onsen business that he's running <laughs> like why do we need to know that but i love that i do yeah right like i love that you're building this world and you're invested in this world so all this stuff happens on the bucky arc and that's when they pick up nami yeah for the first time like she kind of sort she agrees to go with them and be their navigator but she doesn't officially join the crew till after the arlong arc Mm-hmm. But she's now helping them navigate because apparently Zoro has the worst sense of direction in history. <laughs> yeah, there's a fan theory going around that he is just being attracted to the One Piece. Who? Zoro? Zoro. Like, no matter where he's on, he just, whenever he's trying to get anywhere without knowing it, he's walking towards the One Piece. That is an interesting headcanon. Yeah. Does that insinuate that they think the One Piece is like a sword or something? I don't know. My favorite... Um, headcanon? Uh, like, fan theory about what the One Piece is, is a bikini. <laughs> it's a One Piece bathing suit. That's so stupid. <laughs> because, you know, the whole thing is the island, the last island is called Laugh Tale. The story is, you know, Roger looked at the treasure and laughed and everyone laughed and they all thought it was hilarious. And then they got on their boat and they left. That is... 
hilarious. And honestly, at this point, I would not put it past One Piece for that to be the thing at all. Yeah. Oda has come out and said it's not the friends you made along the way. Oda has said it is a, a thing. Yeah. It is a physical thing. <laughs> yeah, which is good because it would be... It would be kind of disappointing, even if it's something as insignificant, like a One Piece swimsuit, it'd still be something. You know, it needs to be a thing, even if that thing isn't something that seems super important. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to say about the orange arc? Because, honestly, Bucky's like the only important thing other than her joining the crew. Yeah, the only thing there is Buggy. Buggy is amazing, and uh, I'm glad he's such a reoccurring character. And I, I legitimately have this theory myself that he might become King of the Pirates. You think? Well, he has the credentials for it, you find out later on. Yeah, like, I am fully ready for Luffy and crew to go in after the One Piece, fighting Blackbeard or whatever for it, and Buggy is just there on the side, right? Just, like, watching and hiding and waiting. <laughs> waiting for his chance. And then the moment comes and he grabs it, and it's like, and I could just see Luffy going, well, damn. <laughs> Uh, Sanji, you still want to find the all blue? Let's do that. Yeah, right? Like, he's he's also dedicated to doing his friend's dreams. Yeah. After the orange one is Sanji, right? The, yeah. the Baratie? Syrup Village. Oh, Syrup Village. Right. So it was up next. Right, because Sanji's yeah. like the last one to join before they hit the Grand Line. Well, well technically Nami is, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, so we could Usopp. And I think, like, we're probably going to talk about overall favorites later, but I think Usopp, at first, like that guy said, he's kind of annoying because he's a coward and he's a liar, but he does grow on you. And after the two year time skip, he, like, he's the weakest, clearly, right? Yeah. But after the two year time skip, he really starts to hold his own. He's nowhere near the others because they're like the end boss and he's like a mid boss now, but he's still proud and he still works hard and like his his whole reason for getting stronger is to protect his friends because he is living his dream he wants to be a warrior of the sea and he like basically just gets that when they get to the grand line mm -hmm. well, hey, he keeps building relationships with giants right so everyone's ready for something big to happen with Usopp in uh Elbath. Oh, that'll be cool when they get there. Which I only recently put together is Fable Backwards. Oh, I did not catch that at all. Look at that. So Syrup Town's pretty cool. You meet Usopp and he's taking care of that sick girl whose butler's like the big bad. And like he does show his first little bit of character development where you find out that even though he's a coward, he will fight to the death, even though he knows he's not gonna win, just to give somebody time. Mm -hmm. Like he gets the shit beat out of them making like just wasting time so that they can't get to the village so she can get away and to leave him them can show up and i mean he's not even sure if they're going to show up he's just ready to lay down his life to save these people and then in the end he doesn't even take the credit he's like just tell them i lied that it didn't happen so he's clearly not in it for the glory he's just i feel like he's in it just to have stories to tell when he like retires because he loves to tell stories and he wants to be a warrior of the sea so that he can like accrue all these just stories he can tell i mean that might be my head canon, but yeah i think his goal to become a great warrior of the sea is more of a self-confidence issue he wants to be more than he is and that's why he tells stories about being more than he is yeah although his uh all his lies that he told in those first few chapters have been prophetic i know right they've all come true i love that little like thing uh, and this is when they introduce one of the more most important characters mary the ship <laughs> the going mary uh i'm so mad that they made me care so much about this fucking ship <laughs> 
Uh, but was there anything else you wanted to mention about that arc before we jump to the next one? Mm, not really. The big bad is Kuro, and he's pretty forgettable. Yeah, I don't even think he shows up again. I think he just gets arrested. His lackeys show up. The dude with the hypnotism guy. Django, yeah. Django. He shows up later. Does one of his other crewmates show up? No, I think it's just Django. Nope. The pussyfoot pirates. An interesting thing that you, a connection you might not have put together is when Kuro turned himself in. Or, well, hypnotized that soldier to think he was Kuro and then turned him in to be executed and killed everyone on that boat except for the one person he left alive. Mm -hmm. That one person became famous for taking down Kuro, the famous pirate, and became a captain. He was, in fact, Captain Morgan. Uh, Oh, you know what? I think I did make that connection when I saw it. I just didn't remember it because he breaks his jaw, doesn't he? Uh huh. And that's why he has that, like, metal, like, very, like, iconic metal thing on his face. Yep, so Kuro made Captain Morgan the captain that he is. He didn't really earn it, which is one of the reasons he was so tyrannical about it. Yeah, like he thought he was bigger than he was. Yeah, so that's neat. So we finish that arc, and the next one is... Baratier. Baratier. The floating restaurant made by two people who never want anyone to go starving. Sandy's back, like, they're all kind of tragic backstories, right? But I feel like Sandy's is kind of harrowing. Well, it's the the D&D things. Like, why do all these characters always have tragic backstories? And it's like, Mm -hmm. because the guy who grew up with well-loving parents and now takes over their farm and it has a fulfilling life doesn't want to go off to on an adventure it's like yeah it's like hey you want to go fight this dragon it's like no i gotta bring in the cows in the morning yeah they're happy with their status quo and sanji kind of comes off like that at first but i mean they also all have those tragic backstories because they live in a world where that's kind of common and i mean they do get into that later because they get into like the government stuff too because like his backstory is he was on a ship chefs i don't think it was a restaurant but he was one he was like an assistant and oh what's his what was his name Redfoot, Redfoot Zeph? Zeph, yeah. Yeah, it was Redfoot Zeph. His pirate crew robbed them, was going to leave them with food and all, but then like a storm hit and it destroyed the ship. And Sanji and him got ended up marooned on this island that was insane. It was like a plateau, like, so they couldn't get to the water. Yeah, almost mushroom shaped. Yeah, and like they're stranded. And without Sanji realizing it, like Zeph says he divides the food, he doesn't. He gives Sanji all the food. They're there for like months. I think they insinuate at least a month, probably two or something. But Sanji runs out of food and then discovers that Zeph has just been eating his leg. Yep. Which means he cannot be a pirate and he's given it up for this kid he knows nothing about. Who practically put him in this situation because him rescuing Sanji is what got... I think he broke that leg, actually. Well, no. So in the anime, they show that he cut it leg off because he got it stuck in bubble. But no, in the manga, he just just eating it. Yeah. Yeah, cannibalism wasn't exactly family friendly. <laughs> Auto cannibalism, I guess. I should be more specific because it's not cannibalism. The reason that Zeph attacked the ship that Sanji was working as a cabin boy on mm-hmm. was because they just fled the Grand Line. Zeph was on the Grand Line and couldn't cut it and they fled it. Uh-huh. And that's why they were in such bad shape that they attacked a, a little vessel for supplies. Yeah. I mean, not a, it was a pretty big ship. They had a lot of chefs and shit on there and a lot of people it was just not a well it was like kind of like a merchant ship i guess like it wasn't well defended like a marine ship or something but yeah so oh they go through a lot of shit because they end up getting attacked by the don creek pirates which is just a dude who bullies people into joining him so he has a giant fleet yeah he has an armada Mm -hmm. which was just 
decimated on the grand line so they end up showing up and like i think his name is gino the dude with the tonfas with the balls on it that shows up first gene gene it's like g-h-i-n yeah but he shows up first before the rest of them starving no food so they kick him out of the restaurant and sanji ends up feeding them anyway because he can't see someone go without food like he will be mm-hmm. anybody who's starving no matter who it is even if it is a bad person and that does kind of bite him in the ass because in don krieg and them show up to like loot yeah. them take all their food and stuff even if sanji had refused to feed jing mm-hmm. zeph would have oh yeah for sure but like it shows that character development because before that sanji just like this badass cook who's just mean because he punches he beats the shit out of that other dude who insults their food and wastes it he's like you don't waste ironsides i want to say it's lieutenant ironsides i think it has something to do with the brass knuckles i don't think it's sides it might be like fist or something iron fist or something they think he's a big badass and sanji just that iconic scene of sanji just holding this bloodied man <laughs> you don't disrespect food around me <laughs> but yeah he feeds them and then don Krieg shows up to rob them and Sandy just is going to fight to the last to defend Zeph's restaurant because he feels indebted to him because this man saved his life and gave up his dreams. So he made this restaurant like his top priority, even though he has the dream of seeing the all blue, which I guess we should explain. I think the all blue is like a sea where all the seas connect. So it has all the fish, right? Yeah. So the four seas, east, north, south and west are separated by two factors. The first is the single monocontinent, the red line that runs from north to south in a big circle around the globe. Mm -hmm. And the other is the grand line, a sea in of itself separated by the calm belt which runs around the equator. So those four seas are separated by those two things. And there is apparently one spot which could only exist basically on the other side of Reverse Mountain Mm -hmm. that has a gathering place of all these creatures of the sea, of all four seas in one place. Yeah, I guess we did forget to mention that like their planet is mostly water. Like it's a lot. Is it more water than our? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like it's more water than us. Like, you see maps of it and stuff. But yeah, like, they fight, and then Hawkeye shows up, because apparently Hawkeye was the one who decimated their fleet and chased them off the Grand Line, and then you get to see him and Zoro face each other, and Zoro gets a beat down, but just refuses to, like, back down. So Mihawk acknowledges him, which is pretty cool. I mean, he could have just cut him down and left him, but he acknowledged that he was ready to just die for his honor. And then... And one of the most epic things when he like has a spike coke and Luffy's like, bitch, please. And he punches him through it mm-hmm. and fucks up his hands because he don't fucking, Luffy don't care. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to defend yourself from Luffy with just a coat, uh, blanket with spikes on it. Mm-hmm. He will hurt himself to hurt you, especially if you hurt his friends and disrespect, he disrespects the fuck out of Gene and pisses everybody off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Creek's a shitbag. I think he's one of the few villains in here. Well, no, I think One Piece has a few villains that are just legitimately bad people. They have a lot of intelligent villains, like people that you hear their back, like their reasons, and you're like, mm, I see where you're coming from, but I still don't agree with you. But Krieg is just a bad person. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he kicks his ass. Um, and then Nami steals their boat to go back to uh her home village where Arlong is with all their treasure. Yeah, Donate also introduces us to the idea of the seven warlords. Right, this is the first time they're mentioned, because Luffy has no idea, because Luffy don't care. And he's from, like, a very quiet town. Yeah, so we meet Mihawk, he's one of them, uh, and they mention, um... Do they mention the others in this arc? They mention the fishman one who... Right, they mention him because 
Arlong is a fishman, and they're pretty sure that's where she's going because she was staring at that poster when she left. Because Zoro's bounty hunter friends show up. Because Zoro was a bounty hunter before he became a pirate. Jinbei. God, I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> they mentioned Jinbei. Right, yeah. And I only recently also put together, thanks to the most recent arc, that all of the seven warlords are named after animals. Yeah, which is crazy. Mihawk is a hawk. Because he also has like the hawk-like eyes and shit. Mm-hmm. It's a very intense expression. I do, do love that, um, like, I'll say it now, but it continues throughout the whole story, is the character designs are like really good like obviously the women are animeified big boobs tiny waist but the character designs are really good mm-hmm. like oda really puts a lot of effort into making it so that you can tell what a character is all about at a glance yeah like buggy is dressed as a clown but just from the way he carries himself and the way he dresses he's scary mm-hmm. like up until you know him to be the buffoon that he is at a glance he's intimidating Oh, yeah, but I mean, most people have a fear of clowns, right? I think it's chlorophobia or something like that. I don't think most people do, but sure. Well, because of our, like, zeitgeist, clowns are unnerving, just out and about. Like, in certain settings, clowns aren't scary. Like, if you go to the circus or you go somewhere where there is a clown. But just to see a clown out and about, it's a little disconcerting. You know, like the thing with the schools where clowns were just hanging around and people were freaking the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And it, it made clowns scary. Yeah. But yeah, I think we're done with the Barachi arc, unless there's something else you want to point out. No, that's about it. And then we have to chase Nami to Arlong Park. Which is, I think, one of my, I don't know if it's my favorite. I think it's one of my favorite arcs, though. So far. It is my favorite of East Blue, definitely. I think it beat some of the Grand Line ones for me just because of, like... The whole interactions between Luffy and Nami, because they get there and they find out that Nami is trying to buy the town from Arlong. So she works for them. So she's like hoarding this money and she tells them to butt out. So Luffy does. He just hangs around and waits for her to ask for help because he knows she needs it. And Arlong ends up betraying her and Nezu. I think it's Nezu. The mouse Navy dude shows up, ends up stealing all her gold. And it's obvious Arlong tipped him off. Like we know. But she doesn't. But it's obvious that she's like, yeah, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So she has to start over. And the town that was pretending they didn't know, but did, decides to revolt. Yeah, they're, they're like, no, we're done waiting. Like, we're going to go finish this off or die trying. And that's, that's all there is to it. Yeah. And then there's that epic scene, which I think is one of just like the most epic scenes to me. Because there's a lot. There's a lot of moments in One Piece that are just like fucking touching. And it's that scene where she's just stabbing herself and Luffy stops her. Mm-hmm. So she asks for help and he puts the hat on her head and he's just going to go kick his ass. And that's just so epic because he was just waiting for her to ask. He was ready and he just does it. Yeah, that scene, like the whole thing, she's just stabbing herself, going mad with it. And he stops. She tells him to go away. And he just says, yep, you said that. And then she asks for help. Mm-hmm. We haven't mentioned it. But he has that straw hat. This is why they're called the Straw Hat Pirates. And it means a shit ton to him. Mm-hmm. Like, he'll risk his life to save that hat because Shanks gave it to him, which I don't think they've explained yet. Because he just says a friend gave it to him and he's very important because Nami mends it a while back. No, you see the flashback by this point. Okay, yeah. But, like, Shanks is his idol, you know? And just him putting her hat, that hat on her head is just, like, beautiful. I just, like, that gesture is just so touching. I think he does it a few times because I think he puts it on like Robin's head at some point or something too. Or I might be confusing it with something else. Like it's just like chef kiss. <laughs> he puts the hat on the head and then just screams, mm-hmm. of course I will. You know, she's like, hey, help me. Of course I will. And then the camera pans out and you just see the rest of the crew hanging out waiting. 
yeah, they're all just waiting. They're ready to do it because they've been just hanging around and watching. And they they had already talked to her sister and they knew what was going on from her. Well, Luffy didn't. He slept through it. Yeah. But I mean, Luffy's smarter than we think. I think he just knew what was going on. You know, well, he knew as much as he needed to. He knew she was in trouble and she needed help. So he refused to leave her. Mm -hmm. And the rest of them had like the explicit backstory. But anyway, yeah, that shit happens. And then the fight with Arlong happens. And I mean, most of the fights in One Piece are just epic. I think this fight is one of my favorite fights because, well, at least in East Blue, because there are more epic fights later. Yeah. Just him beating the shit out of Arlong and then like, I'm kind of sad because there are movies. If you want to binge this and you don't want to watch all the episodes, you can watch movies that'll summarize like the big chunks, like the East Blue sagas in one movie. And they cut out the part where he like knocks his teeth out and uses his teeth against him, mm -hmm. which is so fucking Luffy. Like him using that against him is just, just so Luffy. <laughs> Yeah, and this is kind of the first time you ever get to see Luffy, like, really mad. Yeah. And it, it's not when he busts in and he's like, who's along? And starts fighting. But when he fits the room, Nami's room, that she does all the drawing in. And he just holds the pen that's bloody that she's been using. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty poof. I mean, anytime Luffy stops smiling and he gets that serious face on, you know shit's about to get real. Because he's always smiling. Like, he loves the fight. Like, he smiles through a lot of the big fights but like sometimes he drops that shit and he gets serious and he kind of scary like he's legit scary <laughs> oh yeah my favorite line is when uh zoro they beat up the fishman and then zoro squares up against arlong and he's like i'm fighting a dead man because he has that huge cut across his chest yeah and he sees it like he's zoro gets injured and he always has to get injured because if he's not injured he's too powerful he can walk into that island kill every fishman save the village all by himself and be done yeah Alright, so is there anything else you want to say about this arc? Because honestly, that's it. It's just them finding out about Nami's past and then kicking Arlong's bust. And like, I like the scene with him and her on the street, but the scene where he like punches the desk and starts destroying that room. He, in the middle of a fight, he's forgotten about the fight and is just destroying that room. Mm -hmm. And then that moment where he breaks that saw, which they don't show in that movie either, which is an iconic moment. Where he just grabs it and just and just breaks that shit. Yeah. And it's the first time Oda really tries to break you with a flashback. Like Sanji's was bad, but Oda has this thing where he likes to do a flashback and he tries to hurt you emotionally. <laughs> well, he wants to get you invested, right? Yeah. He wants to show you that these aren't characters. They're people. And he does a very good job of that. Yeah, so just uh, it's worth mentioning that the Bellamy flashback. Yeah, I mean, she dies for her kids. Honestly, I think watching that now as an adult with kids hits harder. Like, I'm still not okay. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, you, you see that happen and you're like, fuck, I would do that. I would do that for my kids. Like, I wouldn't want to leave them alone. But there's no way I would risk them finding out and killing the entire family because they would, right? Or they would decimate the whole village. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't going to risk that. She she protected her kids till the last. And I fucking, I got to salute her for that. Yeah. And then Nami gets trapped in that tangled fucking web that Arlong weaves. I mean, Arlong is also kind of a scumbag, but he gets kind of redeemed later when you find out why he's like that. Yeah, I wouldn't say he gets redeemed, but it becomes more understandable, right? Like, you get it once you find out about his past. 
Yeah, like for real. You find out why they hate Haman so much. But um, I think that's it for that arc. And then we go straight into like the arc of them. Oh, Logtown. Logtown's next, right? Yep, Logtown. As prologue and epilogue. I say, is that grouped with the Reverse Mountain or is that on its own? I believe it is just considered to be on its own. Yeah, it is. It is all of five chapters. Yeah, it's a smaller arc, I think. Like it introduces important characters because it introduces Smoker. And his assistant, the girl that looks exactly like Kawina, I forget her name. Uh-huh. Which, I know you said there's like a fan theory that she's her, but like maybe head trauma or something so she doesn't remember anything. Yeah. Which is a good theory, because if you have bad enough head trauma, it can affect your eyesight. And she now wears glasses when she didn't before. And she has a dead girl's face. She looks exactly like she would, and she's the same age as she would be. So, that fucks Zoro up. Right now... Uh, thanks to some things we've learned from the Wano arc, mm-hmm. there's now the leading theory is that they are just related. Like, this girl is related to Karina, like they're cousins or something. Because it turns out Zoro is descendant from, like, 30 years ago in the past. A group of refugees fled the Wano, and a big group of them ended up in the East Blue, and they just kind of scattered. Yeah. Uh, and they were family groups. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense. Like, that's where Zoro's parentage comes from, is one of those. He's half Wano. Yeah, you get to see Smoker, who has... I think this is the first time they mentioned the different types of double fruit. Oh, we forgot. Bucky has a double fruit. He has a d- the chopped up fruit, which lets him, like, separate his body. Like, yeah. he's immune to slashing damage. Probably piercing, too, I guess, huh? No, he, he can be stabbed. Yeah, but you can't cut him because he just separates. Yeah, and if you try to stab him something with very wide, his body will just split around it. Mm-hmm. But if you stab him with just, like, a spike, that will work. <laughs> I will say, like, just like Luffy, some of these double fruit people really know how to use their powers very versatilely. Mm-hmm. Because Bucky is pretty versatile with it. And then, I don't know if Smoker is versatile with it, but, I mean, he has kind of an OP power. The Lugia fruits are very OP. He uses his smoke power to run a motorcycle, remember? Yeah. That's something. Like, Oda always makes sure everyone's using their powers in an interesting way. Yeah. So, Lugia fruits. I wanted to say they're elemental based, but I mean, he smoke. So, not really. Mm-hmm. But they make the user's bodies different. Like, the people with the fire, fire fruit are made of fire. Mm-hmm. Like, they become, it's pretty close to the elements. Yeah. But they can be very specific. Mm-hmm. Like, there's an ice one, but there's also a snow one, and those are technically different. Yeah, fire and magma, which we'll find out later, those are different. Yeah, and there's one who's just mud. <laughs> mud, mud fruit. Or the nom nom fruit, mochi mochi fruit. Oh, um, well, that's technically a paramecia, but it's a special paramecia. Right, and Luffy's paramecia. Yes. And he doesn't find out about paramecia till a little later. Like, we know, we learned the Lugia right now. Like, he spaces out you learning stuff about the world as they learn stuff. Yeah, I don't think, like, the full explanation of the three types is really explained until Alabaster. I do like that, though. Like, in a lot of stories, they'll make the main character be completely stupid so that when people explain stuff to them, they're kind of explaining it to you. Luffy's not stupid, but he's from a town that was isolated and he just doesn't care about some things. Because even when they explain stuff to him, he's not absorbing it like the, the viewer or the reader is. Like, you don't give a shit. Most of that information is spread through the worldwide newspaper, right? Yeah. The, the world gets all of its news from a single source newspaper. Yeah, but I mean, like, his ignorance of all this stuff, so it's explained to us, is part of his character. Yeah. You know, he didn't just make him stupid. It was like, no, Luffy just doesn't absorb knowledge that does not pertain to him being the king of the pirates. I mean, the big thing is, like, why he doesn't know the Seven Warlords and stuff like that is because he never read the paper. 
Yeah, but he also just doesn't care. Because there's a few times where they go to explain stuff like that to him, and he'll just take a nap. Yeah. And he'll fight them. He don't care that everybody's like, oh, they're scary, don't fight. And he's like, no, I'll punch him in the face, I don't care. But, um, so this arc is just them shopping in Logtown. Zoro broke two swords, so he's got to get, he gets new swords. Which is kind of a cool scene where he, like, throws that sword and sticks his arm out. And if it cuts him, he'll die. But if it doesn't, the sword chose him. And it chose him, which was pretty cool. It's a cursed blade. Yeah. But it turns out that goes back to that thing about items having wills. Yeah. Turns out that sword isn't so much cursed as it was picky about who used it. And if you weren't a good enough swordsman, it wouldn't listen to you. Yeah. He has trouble with that at some point, doesn't he? Like when he learns how to cut steel? Uh, Not with that sword specifically, but it does give him a little trouble from time to time. Nothing like the sword he gets on Wano. A little spoiler, he gets a sword on Wano that will not listen to him. That's great. So what else do we need? Like, And then they, like, Luffy does the thing where he gets trapped well, he goes to that bar and learns about Gold Roger, mm-hmm. which was cool. And we find out Luffy doesn't drink because he just drinks like milk. Luffy just doesn't partake in alcohol. He just doesn't see the point to it. And he doesn't like the taste of it. There's a few times later where you see him like have a drink with the rest of the crew as part of like a celebration. Mm-hmm. But unless there's like a pretense to it, he would just rather not. He just doesn't like the taste of it. Yeah, but I do like that. Like he, you know, he's breaking the norms of what you think a pirate is. They all are. Mm-hmm. But he learns about Gold Roger and then he goes to see the platform. He was executed on one and he ends up getting trapped and Bucky tries to kill him. You keep saying Bucky. Oh, it's not Bucky, is it? It's Buggy. Buggy, right. Buggy tries to kill him and then lightning strikes and it turns out that it's not divine intervention, it's Dragon. Yeah, it hasn't been verified yet, but the leading fan theory is Dragon has some kind of weather manipulation. Yeah. And I mean, it's not hidden because you do see him like smirk and it's him because he has that like iconic face tattoo. My theory is that he can control the wind. It's not so much that he can summon rain, but he can use the wind to pull and push rain clouds as need be. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately his power will come down to the ability to control the wind. Which would be neat, because if that's tri- the case, then it's also just happenstance that lightning struck. Yeah. Because he might have created the storm, but a lot of other variables had to come together to make that a thing. Yeah, someone had to climb up on a platform and hold a sword into the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, he can form wind and he can pull a storm, but that doesn't mean the storm's going to rain down lightning at that exact instant, right? Yeah, and I mean, that is my headcanon. A lot of people, like, it's generally accepted he has some kind of weather manipulation, and I just think it's going to be wind and Oda is just saying that he's using it in interesting ways. Yeah. Because I think that's like, because one of the things that's always said is his ships can never be caught. That's why he, how he's avoided the the Navy for so long. For some reason... <laughs> the wind always has his back. Yeah, for some reason, the wind is always behind him. It's always pushing his ships and never his enemies. And I mean, when you think about it, on the open sea, controlling the wind is a really powerful thing in terms of travel. Oh, yeah. And I mean, Oda is very specific with his devil fruit growers, so it wouldn't be weather manipulation. It would have to be a specific aspect of it. Yeah. You know, it's not like he's not storm from the X-Men. It's one specific part of that. Yeah. So that's my leading theory, is he can control the wind. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to talk about about this arc before we move to the next one? Because, I mean, I guess it's two arcs, because it's the prologue and the epilogue of it. I I guess we can go ahead and mention that Dragon is his father. Yeah. I mean, we don't find that out later, but we can talk about it now. Yeah, I guess spoilers. I mean, obvious spoilers, but yeah, there's there's going to be spoilers for all of this. Some spoilers. I've bitten my tongue about a few things that you haven't seen yet because you've only watched up to Dressrosa. Yeah, so spoilers up to Dressrosa, I guess, which I'll probably put in there way earlier than this. But yeah, there's going to be spoilers till there. 
But yeah, he's his dad. And they have the Will of D. That's This is when we learn about the Will of D. I almost forgot. Yeah. Because Luffy's name is Monkey D. Luffy. And Dragon is something D. Dragon, I think, right? Because that's his last name. Monkey D. Dragon. Monkey is the family name. Yeah. And Gold Roger is not Gold Roger. It's Gold D. Roger. Mm-hmm. But anytime you hear people talk about him, they say Gold Roger. Yeah. And even like a Blackbeard is Marshall D. Teach. Yeah, and they call it the Will of D, and nobody's explained it. Nobody knows what the D stands for. That's like a running thing, too. Where I am in the manga right now, we're starting to get some information. Ooh. Yeah. That's cool. Like, the last episode, episode, the last chapter he wrote before he took this break, everyone is now just waiting, salivating for more information about D, because <laughs> we, we might know who is the precursor to it, who started it. Now, I'm not going to get into spoilers. But. The D's not a family line, because it's not like Luffy is related to Goldie Roger, and he's not, well, he could be, but he's not related to Teak, Blackbeard, I don't think. No, and he's certainly not related to Saul, the giant. He also had a D. Yeah, so it's like, it's special. So, was there anything else we want to mention about this one before we move on to the next one, which I think is Reverse Mountain? I don't think so. I mean, he does learn that he can't fight Lugia Fruits, because he tries to fight Smoker, and Smoker just, like, almost kicks his ass. Like, he's lucky he escapes because it starts raining, I think? Yeah, it's their first hint that they need to figure out hockey. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't mention hockey till a while later, but yeah, they have to figure out some way to combat that. So we go to Reverse Mountain, which is crazy, because it's water that flows up a mountain, and that's the only way to get onto the Grand Line. Yeah, it's real interesting that that kind of thing can happen, and there's a path leading up this mountain from each of the four seas. So no matter what sea you're coming from, everyone starts the Grand Line at the same place. Yeah, which is pretty epic. And then you meet the whale, Laboon. Yep, and Crocus. The lighthouse keeper slash... Doctor. Doctor slash ex-pirate that was on Goldie Roger's ship, which is kind of insane. Yeah, you don't find that out until... Way later. Way later. It's after Dressrosa, because you told me, and I don't think I knew. No, they mention it in Saba Odi. Oh, did they? When uh, Silver's Rayleigh, Mm -hmm. he mentions it. Right, I might have forgotten that. But yeah, they meet Laboon, and they kind of... He's been beating his head on the island because the pirate crew he had befriended left him and just never came back, and that was 50 years ago. So Luffy fucking befriends him, because why wouldn't Luffy befriend him? Yeah, and you can't brush Laboon off. It's like, oh, One Piece fun side character. (laughs) Ha ha ha, let's go on. It's important. Comes back, and they promise to come back to see him again. So I hope they do. I really hope they do. Like, I hope we, like, when One Piece ends, I hope there's like an epilogue of him coming back to see him. Yeah. I tell you what, the way that so many characters and their introduction to where they are has become cyclical, like everyone comes back. Mm -hmm. I am so paranoid about Gaiman showing up somewhere. (laughs) That would be fun. You think about it. So he was so early on, right? Yeah. We didn't even mention him, actually. We kind of glossed over him. Because it's it's nothing to talk about. He's on an island with hybrid animals. <laughs> it would almost be filler if we didn't know for a fact that it was part of the manga. That it is part of the source material. So maybe Gaiman returns. That would be neat. So Reverse Mountain is just Laboon, I think. Well, we're introduced to the Baroque's work agents. Yeah, and Vivi. Yeah, and Vivi, who we don't know as Vivi. She's Wednesday right now. Is the island they go to first 
introduced in this arc, or is it its own arc? No, it's its own arc. I guess at the end of this arc, they find out about the log, but because the magnetic pole on the Grand Line is so weird that they have to have a special compass, because compasses don't work, they just fucking spin. Yep, apparently the all the islands on the Grand Line produce their own magnetic forces, so compasses are useless. Mm-hmm. It's one of the coolest, like, it is one of the coolest bits of world building Oda has introduced. Because if I may paraphrase Jeff from My Brother's Basement, compasses are kind of boring. Like, don't get me wrong, they are super helpful. Knowing which way is north is great. But wouldn't it be a lot cooler if they just pointed to where you wanted to go? Yeah, that's true. And I do love that this introduces the fact that they're going to sail the Grand Line, but they're not going to go to the, all the islands. Mm-hmm. So this is replayable, kind of. Yeah. Like, they could come back and just take another route if they want to. Well, but they also don't stick to their route. Like, you're supposed to island hop in a specific path, but several times have now diverted to go to a specific island. Yeah. Which probably put them on a different path than they started on. Yeah, they're kind of, like, hopping crazily. Um, I think that's all we want to talk about in that arc really unless there's something else you wanted to mention that i forgot um no just oh this is where they introduce laugh tale is it the first time or did they introduce it in the um no crocus is the first person to ever tell them about laugh tale did he see laugh tale no he left the ship before that happened okay so yeah now we go to that island that island that's just all fucking like i think it's like it looks like a cactus but it turns out it's all gravestones whiskey peak yeah where you get to see zoro cut down a hundred people and I think you had a complaint about these episodes because of how Luffy acts. Or no, the guy we watched had a complaint about it. Well, I have the same complaint. But yeah, he Daniel Green expressed it very well. Where Luffy is so trusting and so ride or die with his crew. The fact that he doesn't give Zoro the benefit of the doubt when he wakes up and finds that Zoro's attacking people mm-hmm. is a little out of character. And uh, I believe it has been said that Oda was pushed by his editor to make them fight. Mm. But I don't know if that is 100% true. Yeah. Because, yeah, the fight feels forced. I never really noticed. I think because the first time I watched that, I was a kid and it didn't sink in. And ever since then, I've just it's just been part of the story for me. Yeah. But watching someone who's an adult now read through it the first time and point it out, I'm like, hey, yeah. Yeah, that's really OC of Luffy because he would definitely not. I think Luffy would have honestly probably kind of gone with it and maybe made him explain himself but he wouldn't have just immediately like decided to fight him to the depth or something like that was kind of crazy yeah i mean just think a few arcs before along park nami knocked two of the people zoro's two buddies off board and then stole the mary and luffy's just like i'm sure she has a good reason like (laughs) yeah he legit just rolls with it yeah he would have at least given zoro a chance to explain yeah but this is when we find out about broke's works which is like a big criminal, kind of like a mafia sort of thing. Yeah. Their only rule is to be mysterious, which is hilarious. And they're all named after weekdays and holidays and numbers. Yep, and this is actually a great, and this was back in the late 90s, maybe 2000, when just shows how forward Oda has been with the LGBTQ stuff. Mm -hmm. He immediately allowed Bon Clay, who is gender fluid at best, to be... Oh, well, he's he's his own team. Every team is a man and a woman, except him. He gets to be on a team by himself. Yeah, he can become other people. Like, that's his power. It's the clone clue group, I think it is. Yeah, but yeah, he the gender fluid guy gets to be both male and female on his team. Oda is very LGBTQ plus friendly because he has the whole come back kingdom. Yeah. And, um, oh, 
Ivy? Evie? I think it's Evie. The person who does like, the hormone injections. You can just be a woman or a man. Yeah. They are very fluid and they help people transition if they want to. Ivankov. Ivankov, right. So yeah, they call him Evie for short, I think. So yeah, Oda, but uh, that's still, that's 10 years later almost. So yeah, Oda was on top of that very early on. Oh, yeah, but I mean, he obviously planned a lot of this out ahead of time. So he was already had that in there. It was in the works. So he was already pretty friendly with that community. Mm-hmm. It's just surprising to see that he got away with it, even though it was thinly veiled that long ago, like that early in his career and everything. So good on him. He also has a, um, a not ideal woman type in this, which is nice because he introduces, I forget what her her name is, but the big beefy woman who was built she's like a bodybuilder oh he like swings around a log the black lady uh monday monday right she's pretty epic and she is a woman but she is built like a fucking brick house yep and she's almost as strong as zoro yeah she goes toe-to-toe with him too and that's pretty epic and i like that zoro's not one of those misogynistic dude that's like i'm not gonna fight a woman it's like no i'll fight a woman I don't care if she's a woman, because him and Sanji butts heads over that, because Sanji refuses to. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no, if someone's going to fight you, you acknowledge them by fighting them. I don't care if they're a woman, a man, whatever. Yeah, Luffy's the same way. One of the first interactions he has with Vivi is punching her in the face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he don't care. Sanji's a gentleman to a fault, but he's also like a pervert, so I like that that like it's a character flaw. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then Robin shows up for the first time as Miss Sunday. Oh yeah. Wait, you get introduced to Miss Sunday at the end. Yeah, she shows up and like gives him a log pose, I think. Uh, an internal pose to Alabaster. Yeah. They decide not to use it. He breaks it because he's like, I'm not gonna accept your help because you're a bad guy. <laughs> well, she had just, as far as we know, killed the guard. Oh, yeah, the captain of the guard that was with her as protection. The crazy trumpety dude. <laughs> yeah, she turns out she hadn't. It's one of the many fake-out deaths Oda does that becomes really grating a bit later on. It's like one of my biggest gripes with the series on the whole is the fake-out deaths. But at least this one is legit. Like, she does that to convince Crocodile that she's killed him. Yeah, like this one you, you can get away with. It just becomes a problem as it gets more of it. But this one is the first time it happened, really, and it's about the only time he should get away with it. Yeah, so that happens, and they set off to Alabasta, and I love that they're like... So they don't go to Alabasta. Right, they have to go somewhere else first. They go to Little Garden. Yeah, but they tell her, like, they have that thing where they're like, oh, no, this is after Little Garden, actually. I think what I'm thinking of is after Little Garden because it's one of them is sick. So, yeah, they go to Little Garden. They just go to Little Garden because that's the next island and they decided to not use the Eternal Pose. Yeah. Are we done with the Whiskey Peacock or is there anything we miss? I think we got everything because it's not very needy in terms of what happens. It's just more world building. Like, you find out about Rogue's works and stuff. I think the only other thing of note is that the Unluckies get a sketch of everyone there except Sanji. Oh, yeah. Something, too, is, like, the Unluckies are the ones that make their wanted posters, kind of. The wanted posters for the Baroque works, yeah. Yeah, but I think they end up using those sketches for the actual wanted posters. No. In world, they have a marine photographer who sneaks the photos. Okay. I thought there was like a connection there. No. But I might have just forgotten that. Okay. But yeah. So we continue from there to Little Garden, which is a fun arc because you get to see Little Garden is basically just like Jurassic Park with two giants. It's the land that time forgot. And they're 
they're supposedly unlucky because the log post will take like years to set, I think. A year. It takes a year, a full year to set. And what most people do is they give up and they set sail blindly to their own doom. Yeah. It's implied that only one person has ever set sail successfully since the giants have been there. You know, they reference, you know, it might be like that one person. And I think it's implied that that was Roger. Yeah, because I think they start out on the same course that Roger took. Well, it's a little unclear. Yeah, and they do jump around a lot, so they kind of don't stick to the same course. Yeah. yeah. Little Garden's fun, though. You meet the two giants from Elbath who are just fun. And they have their very... In- Everyone has their own laugh, which I think is so funny. I think you pointed that out the first time we watched it together. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a, a YouTube you can watch that's like learning the alphabet with One Piece laughs because there's so many now that you can go through every letter of the alphabet. That's hilarious. They meet the giants. They end up like solving their fight, I think. No. Oh, no, their fight is interrupted, and that upsets Luffy because the wax wax fruit dude shows up and, like, poisons one of them, incites the other. Well, it's Doi and Bragi. They've been having the same fight for a hundred years, and every day they fight, and every day they come to a draw. And then one day, the wax wax fruit guy puts poison. Well, not poison. It's plosives. Right, it explodes. In, in some alcohol they give to Dory. And Dory drinks it and it explodes in his stomach and makes him sick. But he still gets up and goes and does the fight. And then Bragi wins the fight and he's upset over it. Yeah. The giants both know that neither one of them would have done that. And they both immediately go to blame the humans. So Luffy's crew. Yeah, because they're upset. And the wax white fruit tries to kill them and Zoro tries to cut off his own legs. Like, I got halfway through before Luffy showed up, which was great. I love him standing on that fucking thing. He's like, y'all better mark cool pose. <laughs> yeah, like One of the things that uh, some other people I watched talk about it is that they keep handicapping Zoro. Mm-hmm. They can't let Zoro just be himself in a fight. They have to injure him beforehand. Steamroll him. Yeah, like on Orange Island, he got stabbed and then he fought Mihawk. So when it came to All on Park, he had that slash across his chest. Here, he almost cuts through his own legs so that when Luffy does break it and they get free, he's useless. Yeah. And it's because a reoccurring thing every time you turn around Zoro's like oh no I have a hole in my chest I guess I'll fight the second in command because otherwise he could handle most of the people that come across yeah I mean at this point in the story I think he's kind of established as his first mate mm, it's a little iffy like yes I think Luffy almost thinks of him as but even where I am now even though some people in the world think of him as the first mate he's not it's not an official title yeah I mean his ship is very democratic but i feel like they kind of look to zoro if they don't know what to do like him and sanji they're like the second in commands most of the time unless someone else has something that needs to be done well i've heard it said that on land luffy's in charge and followed by zoro on sea nami's in charge followed by luffy yeah that makes sense but um, is there anything else we want to talk about little guard with? I mean, they do wreck their weapons so they can leave via giant goldfish and they see the island made of poop. You get the first hint of Luffy maybe having observation hockey. Oh, yeah. Because that guy makes wax wax copies of himself that are perfect and Luffy immediately punches him in the face. And he's like, how did you know it was me? And he's like, instinct. Like, that's the first hint that Luffy might be seeing more than what's actually there in front of his eyes. Yeah. Which would be observation hockey. Like, he's starting to tap into it. Yeah. Luffy is very observant. Ooh. Uh, Sanji in- interacts with Crocodile and pretends to be Mr. Prince. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole subplot of, like, the only person that no one else 
Chaos has run into is Sanji. Like even when they're leaving here and they run into Bon Clay and they're like, hey, we're friends. And Bon Clay gets along with him and they sing and dance and he shows off his chain face changing powers. Sanji stayed in the kitchen the whole time and never sees this guy and he never sees Sanji. So all the way up until they confront Crocodile, nobody in Baroque folks knows what Sanji looks like. Yeah, and he can't copy them either, which comes back in the play too, because he can copy the others, but he can't pretend to be Sanji. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, And Nami gets stung, so she's sick, and they leave the island, and they get that paper, because Vivi's been getting the paper, and they find out that there's like a civil war, and she's like, but we can't go there because Nami's sick, and she's like, torn up about it, and they're like, okay, we find a doctor, and then we save your kingdom. Yep. Her logic is sound. The ship moves fastest when Nami's in charge. Mm-hmm. So the fastest way to get there is to get Nami better, because Zoro tries to navigate with a cloud. Yeah, they prove Nami's instincts for weather control at this point too because she she knows that that cyclone's coming yeah and it impressed Vivi because they're almost impossible to predict but she predicts it yeah Nami knows what's going on yeah uh, and then we move on to Drum Island yeah and Chopper the reindeer who ate the human human fruit who also thinks that the symbol for poison is a good symbol <laughs> Well, I mean, he's only had sentience for a few years, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and he's taught that the Jolly Roger is a good thing by his hack doctor. He takes him in. Yeah. So he thinks it's good, and he makes that poisonous soup that that dude just fucking eats and knows he's going to die. So he goes to fight the tyrannical king, and he gets killed, but he knew he was going to die. And I feel like he did that just so it wouldn't be Chopper that killed him. Yeah, he says that as he's sitting there with those explosives. He's like, don't worry, Chopper, it won't be your soup that kills me. And then he blows himself to smithereens. Yeah, we get to meet that crazy doctor, Killua? Kueha. Kueha. It's kind of close. <laughs> the names are hard sometimes. I like Kueha. She's cool. Like, she seems mean, but she's she's neat. I never got it when I watched this for the first time as a kid, but watching people go through it nowadays, they all make the assumption that Kareha is going to join the ship as the doctor. I kind of did too. I legit thought it would be her and not Chopper. Well, I didn't, like, before they introduced Chopper as a character and everything, like when he's still just a reindeer and it's Kareha you've seen, I still never thought she was joining the crew. Like, she, she always just seemed too independent and too crucial for the area. Oh yeah, like, obviously, according to her character but yeah when i first watched it even as an adult i was like yeah that's probably the person they're going for and luffy's proven that he can change people's minds especially with like zoro and sanji so i kind of assumed it was her but then chopper stepped up i'm like no it's probably gonna be chopper because he actually is a doctor now he's been trained and he's good at it so mm-hmm. she does the same thing zeph does because zeph practically kicks on well he did he kicks Sanji out to make him join and she does the same thing she kicks out Chopper so he'll join yeah that's that's a real touching moment when she chases him out and she like throws stuff at him and she chases him and they're they're fleeing and he's like okay I guess I'm going with you and he's all sad about it and he's like oh no I left my bag of doctor gear and they're like isn't this it right here it was already in the cart (laughs) yeah there's a touching moments too because there's the epic moment where Luffy is climbing that fucking rock wall with Nami on his back and Sanji in his teeth because Sanji injured himself in like the avalanche and he's just bloodying himself climbing the sheer fucking rock wall and then later on when the cherry blossoms when he makes the snow turn pink and it's like cherry blossoms falling because the quack doctor wanted to heal people's hearts with that. Yeah, but I mean, even going back to what you're talking about with him climbing that cliffside, even when he makes it to the top and Chopper drags him to the top, he refuses to let go of Nami until the doctor acknowledges that she's there to help. Yeah, yeah, he's a stubborn bastard. 
I mean, Luffy would kill himself to save them, and he he practically does. They're all unconscious for a while. He damn near does, yeah. I love that Koea puts Sanji down during the fight because he tries to fight and he could re-injure himself because he has like broken ribs and a broken leg or something. And she's like, nope, you are not fighting. And she kicks his ass. A moment that's always stuck out to me is when they're chasing Chopper around, calling him a monster and stuff. And, you know, that's hitting a nerve of Chopper they don't know about with him being called a monster in his past. Yeah. And the first time he sees Luffy stretch and he's like, sees Sanji and he's like, what is he? And Sanji just looks at him and goes, he's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> and they realize that they're not insulting him. Like, they consider themselves to kind of be monsters. They're all monsters. Well, they think he's a monster, but they want him. They want the monster. Give me the monster. He's on our crew now. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's not the same backing behind it, right? Like, these people call him monster out of fear. Yeah. But they call him monster out of, like... Childhood joy. <laughs> Yay, monster, monster, monster. Right? Yeah. They crazy dear dude to change shapes. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, and it's not even until, like, much later that Luffy's like, wait, he's a doctor? <laughs> right? Yeah, he just wants the reindeer. Oh, and that's the first time we're introduced to Zoan-type fruit, too. Or Zoan-type. Is it Zoan or Zone? Zone. Because he can change into different forms, and then he has that pill that'll give him, like, the big monster form that he loses control in, but later on, much later on, I think it's after the time skip, when he actually learns how to control that one. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, because they introduce Devil Fruit Awakening later, mm-hmm. where it's important that if you really master a Devil Fruit, you get to point you can awaken it, and it turns out there's two stages to that, like a false awakening and a true awakening, and it's like with Zoans, a true awakening, their body gets, like, all sleek and powerful, and there's, like, a fog effect, mm-hmm. and then a false awakening, they just bulk up and get massive like the gods and then pale down. Oh, yeah. Those are all awakened Zoan devil fruit power loop users. And apparently Chopper, by taking three of those pills, is forcing a false awakening. Ah, yeah. But he loses consciousness because of it, so he just becomes like a legitimate monster, which they have to like down a couple times because he does that. And that's another thing of it is it turns out what I was talking earlier <laughs> about objects having wills. Mm-hmm. Devil fruits have a will of their own, and when you force a devil fruit to awaken, its will can take over. Ah. That's why the gods of Impel Down are basically like domesticated animals, mm-hmm. because they are just a zebra, a koala, and a wino. Like, they are just their animal forms awakened, and the animalistic nature takes over the will of the devil fruit. That is neat. Is there anything else worth for, I mean, awful waffles, the dude who eats, he's the choo-choo fruit or something? Wow. Waffle. Yeah. The munch munch fruit. Munch munch fruit. He eats shit and then they just, he can just produce them from his body. Yeah. He gets his ass kicked for trying to get a bite out of the Goey Mary because he eats a part of it. But he also eats like fucking cannons and shit, which is a kind of insane fight, though Luffy still kicks his ass. Yeah, I mean, he's not much of a threat to Luffy, really. I mean, he's a pretty underwhelming villain. He does actually come back later. Yeah. Like, uh, in the side stories, you see that he went off to another kingdom and was homeless and would just eat scraps and stuff. And it turns out that if he eats metal and then regurgitates it as raw metal, it's a very strong and durable metal. And that he trademarks and calls Wobbedal. It's what General Frankie is made of. Uh-huh. And he makes toys out of it at first and he becomes wealthy again and buys a country and becomes a king all over again. <laughs> so is that all from that arc? It's just, you know, well, obviously they heal Nami and then they set out for Alabasta. I think so. I mean, the heart of that arc is the uh, Chopper flashback. Yeah. 
the hack doctor's story and everything. That's the true heart of that whole arc. Oh, um, you get your first hint of Ace. Oh, yeah. Because he showed up looking for Luffy and had just missed him. Yeah, and the whole reason that the king was gone when they first got there was because Blackbeard showed up on the island and the king fled. Oh, yeah. And then Ace chasing Blackbeard. Right, because he asked if they saw Luffy, too. Well, he's chasing Blackbeard, but he was like, hey, maybe Luffy's here. Have you seen this guy? Yeah, which is really cool. I like Ace. And then we finally get to go to the true Alabaster arc. Yeah, and Alabaster is like a huge arc. So it's just, a, it's an island of desert. The main concept of this is Crocodile is trying to take it over from the king. So he's inciting like a civil war. Mm-hmm. Does he use dance powder? I think he used it. He blamed the king for it. So the kingdom doesn't have water because it won't rain there. Because if you use the dance powder, you steal the clouds, but then... It won't rain there for a while or something. Like, it's very complicated. They do explain it. If you use dance powder, it basically what it is, is it artificially inflates thin clouds that would later become storm clouds further away. And if you use it regularly, you just prevent them from ever getting to where they were going. Yeah. So you end up making it so that those clouds just never get to their other destination and it prevents someone else from ever getting rain. Yeah. And it's like illegal because it's just, it's not cool. But they end up fighting Crocodile and this is the first time you see Levy lose because Crocodile kicks it's the first time they fight because he has Logia of sand. He's like the sand sand fruit, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that all the devil fruits taste terrible. You think the sand one just tastes like fucking sand? I don't know. I think they all taste exactly the same uh, yeah that's really funny and he has like a hook hand and he, he puts that hook through luffy's chest like twice <laughs> yeah luffy. over the course of the three fights they have um, luffy gets fucked up but he keeps coming back for more and you find out you know oh they have that like the heart of the story is obviously Phoebe just trying to save her country and like that fight her and luffy have yeah and it shows luffy's intelligence right? Yeah. Because V's so naive, but he's like, no, you're going about this wrong. Yeah, you're trying all these things, but you just need to, we just need to handle it. You, you need to rely on us and we will help you. Like She's like, I'm doing everything I have. I will even put my life on the line. And he's like, well, put our lives on the line. Yeah. We're your friends. Put all of our lives on the line and let's get this done. Yeah, that and then like, I think the first time I legitimately cried was the scene near the end in the clock tower when, because they go through all this shit and they finally get to like the main capital where the legitimate civil war starts and she's in that clock tower stops the bomb from happening and the people are still fighting even though it's done and she's just yeah they just don't know it yeah and she's just like screaming at them and you see all of them like looking at her and like no one can hear her it, it legitimately got a tear to my eye because you feel for her these are her people and they're killing themselves for no reason I think this might be the part where I was like, this is not a children's show, right? Like, this is deep. Like, we're talking about, like, civil wars and people are legitimately dying. Like, this is rough. I mean, I got all that in the All Along Park stuff. Like, that was the, the first time it really made me, like, ugly cry. Yeah, but I think the All Along Park was touching for me, but I was also younger when I saw that, so I didn't catch it. But the Alabasta one is just so much political intrigue that it's just so much, like, real life. Uh, and they do fight Bond Clay and end up, he just ends up being there. Like, they kick his ass. Sanji kicks his ass. But they do end up just being legitimate friends with him after that, which is great. Yeah, Bond Clay and his crew sacrificed themselves so that the Straw Hats can escape. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a legitimately good guy. He was just on the wrong team. Like, a lot of people actually consider Bond Clay an honorary Straw Hat. <laughs> I think they do invite him to join because they also, and that's something I like, and I think the dudes you were watching said it too, is they're realistic about it. Vivi wants to join the crew and they would like her to join too, but she can't. She has a people. She's a princess. She has to stay. So she can't 
go and they won't mm-hmm. be associated with her. So they have that scene where they hold up their arms with like the bandages and X's that they had used to mark themselves. That is the most emotional scene for me in the whole series. It's just them holding up their arms because they can't say, yes, you're our friend, you're on our crew because the government's listening. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but we're still friends because she's screaming at them through that PA system. And they're like, we have to turn our backs because if we acknowledge her, she's a criminal because they all have bounties at this point. So they turn their backs, but then they raise their arms. So they give her like a signal that, yes, we're still friends, but we can't acknowledge it right now. And that's it's great. Like, it's very it's very emotionally mature because it's like they could have done the anime thing where she just abandoned her kingdom to join the crew. But she didn't. She had to be a grown up. She has responsibilities that she must attend to. Yeah. Uh, I also love how clever it is to just, you know, since they know there's a guy who can change shape, they put the white cloth around their arms and then they have an X under it because anyone who sees them can be like, hey, they're all putting this cloth on the arm. They know that's how they're telling each other apart. But you can't just do that. You have to be able to take it off and show the X when you're on as well. Yeah. And that comes into play later too, I think. Yeah. that I think Usopp calls them on that. You get a pretty good fight with Usopp and Chopper against... The Momo and the dog gun. Number three. The do- the gun who ate a dog fruit, I think, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Number four. <laughs> and the dog that ate the gun gun fruit. Oh, this is just insane. Some of this shit. <laughs> yeah. That shows how smart Usopp is. Because he kind of plans their victory on this and Chopper understands it and goes with it. Great. Because Usopp gets... Like, they show, like, the little x-ray images they do in that fight that Usopp gets messed mm-hmm. off. Like, he gets a cracked skull, loses broken multiple times, he's got fractures and shit. It's a running thing that Usopp gets destroyed. There's actually talk in the fan theories and everything that Usopp has some kind of supernatural or superhuman durability. Mm-hmm. Because he can take a beating better than anyone else on the crew and still be alive. And still be there and taking it and going. I mean, they all take some beatings and get back up. But Usopp is pretty fucking epic, yo. So did we miss anything else from Alabasta that I'm forgetting? I mean, he does... Ace. Oh, Ace, yeah. And we... The fight with Crocodile, but we... Smoker. First. I love Ace. Ace shows up. I love the dead, too, where he, his name was misspelled, so he just crossed it out and fixed it. Mm-hmm. So there's Ace shows up, and then also we get intro- reintroduced to Smoker. He's back. Yeah. They end up saving Smoker. Oh, we get introduced to Sea Prism Stone because the sea yeah. makes the fruit users weak. Yeah. And Crocodile has the cane with the tip and then that cage with it. Yeah. So you have Sea Prism Stone and. And then Luke uses a barrel and to fight Crocodile because he's wet, so it turns him into mud. And then he uses his own fucking blood because Luffy's a badass. Mm-hmm. And nothing will stop him. <laughs> we get introduced to Poneglyphs. Oh, yeah, because of uh, them trying to get that Poneglyph. Because Robin knows how to read them because she's yeah, an archaeologist. Yeah. yeah, and they're looking for ancient weapons. And she's one of the few people who can read it. I think she's one of the only people we're introduced to, at least I'm introduced to so far, who can read them. Yeah, there's not many. And it, it's insinuated in this one or the Skypea arc that Gold Roger also knows them. Well, apparently Gold Roger could read the language. He can just hear the voice of all, which apparently allows him to just know what it says. Ah, but he writes something in Poneglyph. Ah, that's not him. That is someone writing for him. You find that out later. Ah, okay. But yeah, his name is like chiseled on one of them, which is pretty epic. But yeah, and they fight that fight. They kick Crocodile's ass. Crocodile does end up showing up later. So he reoccurs. But and then she joins the crew by saying that Luffy saved her when she wanted to die. So he has to take responsibility. And Luffy's like, okay. And then they have like that episode of them all like starting to get to trust her. Like, I don't think all of them 
getting run over by her, yeah. Yeah, like, they don't trust her, trust her, but they're like, alright, we're not hostile towards you. We can be civil. Her devil fruit is really interesting, too. The, oh, yeah, the bloom bloom? Yeah, the ability to create, you know, body parts. <laughs> she blooms them out of full and breaks their necks constantly. Later, you see she can actually generate full body doubles. Mm-hmm. And she can bloom them any part of her body, so she does, like, the eye thing, so she can look. Yeah. She can scout and stuff, which is cool. And I just love that this crew is now the captain, you know, a swordsman, Sanji, who is the cook, Usopp, who is, he's kind of- The sniper. He's a sniper, but he's also like the repairman right now. Nami the navigator, Chopper the doctor, and an archaeologist. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. It's so weird. But she joins the crew, and now they have, oh god, I can't number, six members? Two women, three, four, five, six, seven. Luffy, Zoro, Usopp, Sanji, Nami, Chopper, Robin, seven. Yeah, seven now. So, yeah, and they all just set off for the next island. Was there anything else we want to talk about on Alabasta? Like, we kind of breeze over it. It's a good arc. You should, this is when, if you want to, like, watch movies, this is one I wouldn't skip. I would actually, like, either read the manga or watch the anime, like, not take the notes on it, because there's a lot of good stuff that happens. Uh, we get introduced to Viva cards for the first time, although we don't know it fully yet. As Ace gives uh, Luffy one. Mm-hmm. God, Oda introduces things. Mm-hmm. So Oda is so good at introducing things and then making you forget about them and then slapping you in the face with it later. Because he introduces the Viva card. Ace gives it to him near the beginning of Alabaster. Because Ace, all that stuff happens early on in Alabaster, and then it yeah, and then it doesn't come back into play until the end of thriller bark yeah when they find out what it is so like that's too he's like the master of Chekhov's guns he's laying out a lot of guns and you're like oh these things won't come back into play but yes they will <laughs> eight arcs eight arcs happen between that fever card getting handed to luffy and him understanding what it is yeah and them actually using it yeah it's crazy so i guess we're two hours in, so maybe we'll break here and we can pick back up on the arcs after Alabasta after. Because after Alabasta, we have... What is directly after Alabasta? Jaya. Jaya, and then... Skypea. Oh, yeah, because they're kind of connected. There's Jaya, there's Skypea, and then the the little the marine base thing. If you want to talk about the filler. Water 7, then... Well, Long Ring, Long Land. Oh, yeah. We'll probably really glance over that. Water 7. Water 7, then Ennis Lobby. Yeah, Ennis Lobby. Then post Ennis Lobby. All that shit. And then... Thriller Bark. And then Saba Odi. Saba Odi Part 1. Then Amazon Lily. Then Impel Down. Then Marine Ford. Then the post-war arc. So it's a flashback. Right. Then Return to Saba Odi. Right. And that's where the gap is between the post-war arc and Return to Saba Odi. Yeah. That's the two-year gap. Yeah. And then we get from there is a bunch more arcs. So we got a lot more to cover. So we'll come back to it. We'll do another part. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so far, so good, I guess. Since we're going to end now, we'll go ahead and do like, so far, the arcs we've talked about. I assume you're probably going to say Alabasta. Is you like your favorite so far? Oh, uh, not really. My favorite... Of the ones we've talked so so far. So none of the ones in... Yeah. The ones we've talked about some part, probably either Drum Island or Arlong Park, actually. They had bigger emotional beats for me. Yeah, I think mine is still Arlong. I think Drum Island's probably a close second, and then Alabasta's after that. But Alabasta is one I wouldn't skip because there's so much important shit that happens. 
So who's your favorite character, like crew member? Let's do crew member of the ones we have so far. Oh, I think I kind of liked Sanji, but I honestly think Luffy has always been like my favorite character. Yeah, you kind of have to say non-Luffy crew member, right? Honestly, everybody loves Luffy. So if it's not Luffy, I would have to say it's like a toss-up between Sanji and Zoro. I think Sanji's one of my more favorite characters. I, I would go Zoro or Chopper. I love Chopper. Yeah, Chopper's great. Like, it's kind of hard to pick. I think the reason I would say Sanji is at this point when I was watching, Sanji was the most mysterious because he is the only character in the main crew that does not have a backstory yet. Because you don't find out his backstory completely until, like, Whole Cake Island, which is way, like, I don't even know it yet, so. And one of the things that I really like about Zoro is something I noticed re-watching the anime, like, a few years ago when I did that full big rewatch. Mm -hmm. He's always the first one in the water when a Devil Fruit loot user falls in. Yeah. He's always the first one in. Unless another Devil Fruit user jumps in before him. Yeah. Now, he's always the first one in, except for when it's Chopper. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Chopper's the first one in, and now Zoro has to pull two people out of the water because Chopper acts before he thinks. I love that running joke I've seen. Uh, I've seen it redrawn on like, Twitter and stuff where it's like Luffy jumps in, Chopper jumps in, Brooke jumps in, and they're like, God damn it. <laughs> Let's save them now. Uh, who's your favorite villain so far? Oh, favorite villain. So would have to be Crocodile because he's a good villain. Like, he's legitimately scary and menacing, and he puts up, like, the biggest fight other than maybe Arlong. But I, I think it would have to be Crocodile. Yeah, I think if we talk whole series, my favorite villain is Buggy. <laughs> but up until this point, I would go with Crocodile. Yeah, I think Buggy's kind of in a gray area. I think, like, if we had to say characters that weren't crew members that were, like, our favorite character, like, the ones that... Yeah. Like, yeah, I was about to ask favorite non-crew, non-villain side character. Because there's a lot. <laughs> Who would it be so far? Uh, you go first, because I gotta think about that one. I can't remember his name, but the man digging the hole uh, in Alabasta. Yeah, he keeps digging the well, and they keep sending the sandstorms to bury it again. Yeah, the man who's just he's so confident in the king. Mm -hmm. And he just keeps digging that fucking hole. Yeah, he's pretty cool. I think the doctor. It's kind of a toss-up. Between the Doctor... No, I think the Doctor might be, like, my favorite. But the Doctor and Bond Clay. Bond Clay, yeah. Bond Clay really hits me a lot harder after Impel Down. Well, I think he's a very fun side character, which is why I like him. But I also like the Doctor as well. Like, um... Oh, fuck. I can't remember her name. It's always... I keep wanting to say Killua, but I know that's not it. It's cool. It's a W. But I, I liked her character. But Bon Clay is also real fun. Like, I love that he, he's just fucking out there. And he's goofy. He's goofy as fuck, but he's strong. He puts up a damn good fight. Kick holes in fucking concrete with those ballet shoes he has. So he's a pretty cool side character. The guy I'm thinking of, his name is Toto. Toto, okay. Koza's father. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I'd have to give it to Bonkley. I think he's probably my favorite side character. And he does like reoccur later too, so But I mean Bonkley's he's a villain in up until this point. Well I guess he flips at the very end. Well, he does turn and help them. And he is like when you say villain, I think of like a villainous character. So a bad guy. And I don't think Bonkley is a bad dude. You know, because he befriends them before he knows that they're like against him. He's not out aggressive. Whereas I think even if they met Crocodile and they didn't know who each other was, they'd still be on bad terms with him. So I don't really count him as a villain in my head, even during that. Even when I found out he was one of the Baroque Works agents, I never really mentally put him in the villain category because he's just seemed like a cool dude. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'll ask you, Chris, what was your favorite island so far? 
because we've done a few on the Grand Line. The Grand Line has a lot of cool islands. But I mean, this can include the East Blue if you like one of those better. But those aren't as themey as the ones on the Grand Line. Uh, there's not. It would have to be Little Garden or Drum Island. Probably go with Drum Island. I was going to say Little Garden. I guess I think Little Garden was just a really cool, like, just seeing an island that's just basically Jurassic Park was kind of cool. And then the giants were fun. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Little Garden, uh, Drum Island, is it it gives them a chance to explain that the islands are separated by season. Like, there's a summer island, a winter island, a spring island, and a fall island. And then each of those islands with their seasons locked actually do have the form of normal rotations, which means the Grand Line Islands have a 16 possible seasons. Yeah. Because you think winter is bad? Wait till you have winter on a winter island. <laughs> and then you think it's hot now? Wait until it's summer on this summer island. Yeah. Yeah, that is a cool concept they introduced. So I think that's all we can say really so far about these, do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, we can try to discuss a few key moments if you want, but I think we've covered them pretty well. Yeah, I guess like the last thing I would ask is like, what's the most tear-jerking moment? But I think you said like what your most tear-jerking moment was so far. Yeah, it's definitely uh, the Nami Luffy thing right before they go to fight Arlong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine's definitely going to be the whole the VV thing in the clock tower because that legitimately was upsetting to me. Yeah, that that doesn't make me like I don't feel as sad as I just heartbroken like that's just like oh man yeah they're kind of like on the same level almost like i would say that that moment that you picked would definitely be like a runner-up for that like that would be second place for me because both of them have a character that we've come to know like love and respect just fucking breaking down and kind of losing it because she's just screaming she knows they can't hear her and nami's just like murdering that tattoo in that regard watching a character break down that gets me my second place would have to go to Sanji's leaving. Oh, yeah. The Baratier when he's leaving. Yeah. And Zeph is like, take care of yourself. And he just... He needs to cut. <laughs> oh, and they're all in fucking tears. Yeah, that's pretty... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty up that, there. That gets to be. One Piece does like to, like, tear out your heart and be like, here, look. Look at this. <laughs> I'm going to ruin it and then give it back to you. <laughs> yeah, one of the fantasy reviewers I watched that did One Piece to a woman, I don't remember her name, I'll bring it up for the next one, recently did a tier list on the sad moments, and the top tier was, I'm still not okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's going through it, she's like, oh my god, this arc, this is the fourth moment where I'm just, oh no, this is not okay, you can't do this to us, this is rude. You saying that makes me think of this, like, what was your most fuck yeah moment of so far? Like, I think my would have to be him tossing Nami's desk out. I think that was the most like, fuck yeah, you go. Like the most hype. Yeah, the most hype. You're like, you're fist bumping. Even though no one can see you, you're like, yeah, get him. <laughs> I think that would be mine. It's him tossing that fucking desk out and ruining that room. Oh, I think for me, it would have to be when he just punches Don Creek through the spike curtain. Yeah, that is a pretty good fuck yeah moment right there. It's like, oh, damn. <laughs> get to see Luffy get serious. And she's like, Don Creek's like, what are you going to do about this? And Luffy's like, I'm going to punch you. That's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm here for. Let's do it again. I'll punch you as many times as it takes, bitch. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, that's like our first little peek in the One Piece. This might have to, yeah, because I was thinking we could try to get to dress with it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah it, I knew it. You would- even if we summarize it, it's going to take a while, and I don't want to edit forever and have like a three-hour episode. So, yeah, this will probably be like a three-part thing 
and then and then you'll get through Dressrosa, and we'll talk about Dressrosa. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll we'll do arcs because I'm not gonna do episodes because that would be ridiculous. No, no, but uh, yeah, watch Dressrosa, and then we'll talk about that, and then next arc and stuff like that. But yeah, probably have like two or three parts to this. So all right, that's it. So if you guys wanna listen to more of this, you know, check us out Spotify, Anchor, or Spotify Podcast now because Spotify got rid of Anchor and turned it into just Spotify Podcast, which is weird iHeartRadio, and if you want to see us playing games, Dark Oden Gaming, and I've uploaded stuff on my channel. I actually have a YouTube channel with like nine subscribers, <laughs> but it's CJan Play. So if you want to see, uh, and I do like, Odin does very comprehensive episodes, kind of. I edit all the, the ghost horror stuff, but he does the other ones, and they're more like mine's clip shows. They're just clips of the recordings I've done that aren't for his channel that are just like the entertaining parts. So me getting frustrated at trying to control a mech suit and shit like that. So yeah, y'all want to check us out. Uh, links are in the description. And otherwise, we'll see you guys later. Uh, have fun and take it easy. Bye. Have fun.